Well, welcome to Bayou City. To grab your Bible and your listening guide that you received on your way in, maybe a pen or a pencil, something to write a few things down today. So obviously, this is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, hopefully, you've already had uh, some celebrating. Uh, Memorial Day weekend has an additional meaning in Missouri, where I grew up. Of course, it is remembering veterans, uh, but it is also remembering your loved ones who have passed on. So every Memorial Day weekend, we would get in the car with my parents, meet my grandparents at a cemetery uh, where we would lay flowers on the graves of my great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, and then we'd get in the car and drive over to another nearby seminary, uh, cemetery, uh, sort of the same thing, and do the exact same thing for the other side of the family. That's not as big of a tradition here in Houston, but it was growing up. And, and so because it's Memorial Day, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about something that we rarely talk about, but it is vital to understand, and it probably lurks somewhere in the back of your mind consistently. What happens when a Jesus follower dies? What happens next after a follower of Jesus dies? Now, I do want to make clear that everything that we're talking about this morning will be in reference to what happens to a follower of Jesus. And I know there are some of you who have not yet made that decision to confess Jesus as Lord. So maybe doing some investigating or just waiting. And um, as great as everything is that we're going to talk about for a follower of Jesus, there is a uh, in the scripture almost the equal... Um, side for those who do not follow Jesus, only it's not quite as good news. And so what I've been praying for you all week, if you are on the fence about Christ, or maybe even feel yourself being a little hesitant to believe in him, uh, that the spirit of God will move in your life where you would recognize that you need forgiveness of sins, even though I'm sure you're a really great person, um, that you need the forgiveness of sins. And that has been made possible through Jesus. And that today you would be um, one who would confess Jesus as Lord. What happens to a Jesus follower after they die? We're not the first people to wonder about that. Uh, the Thessalonians were wondering about that. The Apostle Paul went into the city of Thessalonica and he preached the message of Jesus, born, lived, died, resurrected. And there was a small group of Thessalonians that believed in Christ, but the bigger group of Thessalonians did not. And so some persecution sprang up pretty quickly in Thessalonica. In fact, it got pretty heated. So the apostle Paul and his friends who were with him had to leave Thessalonica. Normally Paul liked to stay for a while, months, sometimes even years to be with these new believers to help them grow in their faith, but he didn't have time to do that. But the Thessalonians never left his heart. And so even as he was going from town to town to town, preaching the gospel of Jesus, he would remember the church in Thessalonica. And so he sent Timothy, one of his friends, to go and check in on these Thessalonians to see how it was going with them. Timothy brought back a great report to the Apostle Paul. The Thessalonians are doing amazing. They are continuing in the faith. They are being faithful to Jesus, even though some of them are suffering for Jesus' sake. They're doing really, really well. They do have one question, one concern. They are concerned that the brothers and sisters in Christ who have already died are going to miss out on the full establishment of Jesus' kingdom when he returns. And they'd like you to address that. So Paul sends them this letter that we know as 1 Thessalonians, and he answers this question. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see in your listening guide, there are three things that I want you to write down and remember this morning. Number one, be encouraged. Jesus is coming. Be encouraged. Jesus is coming. Jesus promised to return. Even when he ascended into heaven, this promise was made. In Acts chapter 1, it says in verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So as the disciples are watching Jesus disappear behind the clouds, ascending into heaven, two angels come beside them and say, What are you guys looking at? He's going to return in the exact same way that he left. Jesus himself promised that he would return in John chapter 14. Says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus promised he's going to return. The angels affirm that. And now the apostle Paul is fleshing that out a little bit more in detail for the Thessalonians. So it says that Jesus will descend. And as he's descending, there'll be a cry of command. The voice of an archangel. That cry of command, if you ever watch Western movies and the bad guy is getting away, our cowboy will hop onto his horse in a very unrealistic manner, hop onto his horse and then yell something, right? And the yell signals to the horse, it's time to go. That's this idea of the cry of command. There'll be a shout that will let everyone who's coming with Jesus know Hey, we're going. And then there's a trumpet that will accompany the shout. Anytime you see a trumpet in the scripture, it seizes people's attention and signals that something important is getting ready to happen. So the Lord is descending. Jesus is returning. There's a cry of the archangel saying it's time to go. And there's an accompaniment of a trumpet. Now the Thessalonians believed, were convinced that Jesus would return in their lifetime. They were convinced because the apostle Paul was convinced that Jesus would return in his lifetime. Now, they didn't know that for sure. Jesus made that clear when he was speaking to his disciples and they passed it on down that even Jesus did not know when he would return. But Paul was so convinced that Jesus was going to return in his lifetime that he didn't get married. 
Now, Paul was a normal guy, like a bunch of normal guys in here. He probably wanted to get married. He had those uh, internal longings for love and companionship, the same as we all do. But he was convinced that Jesus was returning in his lifetime. And so he wasn't going to be distracted with even something as good as marriage. He was so convinced that Jesus was coming. And he said to people who were single, hey, if you can join me in this, that would be great. And the Thessalonians picked that up. They're so convinced that Jesus is going to return in their lifetime that they're concerned about their dead brothers and sisters in Christ who in their mind are maybe going to miss out on the full establishment of Jesus' kingdom. Now I'm guessing for you and I, it's the opposite of what the Thessalonians, they were convinced he was coming in their lifetime. They were, we are convinced that he is not coming in our lifetime. And we have good reason for that. I mean, it's been now almost 2000 years that people have been saying, hey, Jesus is coming at any moment. And uh, he didn't come in our parents' day and our grandparents' day and our great-grandparents' day and all the way back to these original apostles. So we think in our minds, what are the chances that he's going to return in our lifetime? But think about if we did take on that conviction. Again, we can't know for sure. Jesus didn't know exactly, but... What if we were convinced that Jesus was going to return in our lifetime? What would be different? I think there's a long list. I think one of the things that would be different is how we interact with material things. Because believing that Jesus is coming at any moment stamps the word temporary on everything that we own or could own. The house we live in, temporary. Jesus is coming. The car that we want, car that we have, temporary. Things that fill our homes, things that fill our closets, things that will entertain us, all temporary because Jesus is returning. So it doesn't mean that we don't own material things. It just means we own them differently. We don't look to our material possessions as a source of long-term joy or a solution for us because they're just temporary. I think being convinced that Jesus is returning in our lifetime would also make a difference when it comes to our holiness and godliness. I think we would make ourselves available more to the spirit of God to become more like Jesus if we really believe that at any moment he was coming. We wouldn't be just content with sort of being the same person we've always been. Giving ourselves justification for the mistakes that we've always made if we were convinced he was coming in our lifetime, I think it would change the way we interacted with people. The way we talk with people who don't believe in Jesus. I think we'd be a little bit braver to talk about things that really matter. I think we'd get to the heart of issues a lot quicker. It would make a difference in how we treat one another and how much we invest in one another here at church, believing that he was returning at any moment but we don't want to be weird. Amen. I mean, you maybe want to be weird, but we need you to go and find a different church. Okay. Cause it's one of our core values here is to just not be weird. And anytime you hear somebody talk about Jesus return with conviction, they're always weird. And it's been this way for a long time. In 1808, there was a chicken in Leeds, England, who was laying eggs that had prophetic messages of Jesus' return on them. And people from all over England were coming to see this prophetic chicken. 
Well, it turns out that the farmer would take the eggs that were laid and write a prophetic message about Jesus' return and then put them back in the poor chicken. (laughs) That happened. Because people who talk about Jesus' return are weird. I mean, you're likely to see that person outside with a sign of the the, the Toyota Center or Reliance Stadium uh, pronouncing doom and gloom and how you are messing up somehow, right? But the Thessalonians weren't like that. And I think us trying to distance ourselves from people like that gives us permission to just settle into a very normal life on planet earth. And once we're settled in, we invest in our very normal life. But Jesus is coming. Everything that we have is temporary. It reorders our priorities. Second thing I want you to write down, be encouraged. There is resurrection. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So the apostle Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you guys don't have to worry. You're worried because your dead brothers and sisters in Christ are in their graves or in their urns or wherever they are, wherever they were laid to rest, however they were laid to rest. You're worried about them, but you don't have to worry about them. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And when he returns, you don't worry. He's going to raise them from the dead too. Now, what we know from the scripture is that when we die, we are immediately with the Lord, You don't actually go to sleep in a grave and then wake up when Jesus returns. The apostle Paul, who was writing this, said this clearly in a few places. Jesus himself showed us that when we die, we are immediately with the Lord. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus is being crucified. Two criminals, one on his left, one on his right. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do, not, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, what's it say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was being crucified in the the morning through lunchtime. And he says to the criminal, we're both dying, but we're gonna see one another later on today. Before the sun goes down, we're gonna be in paradise together. The apostle Paul said it in a different way, same idea, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse six. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So he says, if we're here in our bodies, alive in our bodies, we're away from Jesus. But when we're away from these bodies, we're with the Lord. He says it more personally in Philippians chapter one, this time about himself. When he says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Now the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from prison. And he doesn't know what the outcome of his prison sentence is going to be. Is he just going to stay in prison for a while and be released? Or is he going to lose his life at the end of this prison sentence? Is he going to die in these chains that he's in? And what does he say? I really don't know what I want to happen. I don't know if it's better to die in prison because it means that I get to be with the Lord or to get out of prison because then it means I get to keep preaching the gospel and I get to keep helping you Philippians. Now think about how long it would take you to make that decision. Do you want to die in prison or do you want to get out of prison? I mean, I'm guessing that for most of us, it's unanimous. I want out of this prison. But Paul is so convinced and convicted that when he dies, he is immediately with the Lord and has such a vivid relationship with Jesus that he's like, I don't know, flip a coin. I win either way. So the good news to these Thessalonians is that their deceased brothers and sisters in Christ are with the Lord, even though their bodies are in the grave. But Paul makes it clear when they, when Jesus returns, those bodies are going to be resurrected and reunited with their spirits, which are with the Lord right now. Now, why is resurrection important? If our spirit goes and is immediately with God, if we go and we are immediately with the Lord, what's the point of raising our bodies from the dead? Well, I think it communicates a couple of things. First, it communicates how serious and deep our connection to Jesus is. When we talk about following Jesus, we use those terms, following Jesus. We think of him as a teacher and us as his students learning his way and all that's true. But it's deeper than that. I think in our minds, sometimes we picture a teacher at the front of the classroom. We're all sitting at the desks. And the point is, whatever the teacher says, we're supposed to do. And sometimes we like the teacher and sometimes we don't. And there definitely is an aspect of Jesus teaching us his way and us obeying it. He's the one who said, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. But it's deeper than that. The apostle Paul worded it as when we believe in Christ, our life becomes hidden in Jesus. When you decide to declare yourself as a follower of Jesus, you are embedded in him. So when he was crucified and died and raised again, because we're hidden with him, it makes total sense to the apostle Paul that that same thing is going to happen to us. That's why he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep because he was resurrected from the dead. We are also going to be resurrected from the dead. Paul sees this connection even in what our resurrection bodies are going to be like. Philippians chapter three, he says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, talking about Jesus return, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he says, when we're resurrected from the dead, our bodies are going to be transformed and our bodies will be like his body. So the resurrection of the dead shows the deep connection that we have to Jesus. It also is comforting when we have lost people. 
my grandmother died about nine years ago and it was pretty unexpected. And the few years before that, she just wasn't the same. Sickness had kind of overtaken her. And so when I would call back home, I usually would speak to my grandfather. And um, I realized about a year ago that I could not recall what her voice sounded like because she had been gone for so long and died suddenly. I had not saved a voicemail or anything like that. And it had been really um, years since I'd had a good, strong conversation with her in a regular way. And I, I just rem- just noticed I, I couldn't hear her voice just by recalling it. About that same time, I was watching home movies from when I was a kid because I remember being awesome. I just wanted to confirm it, you know. <laughs> and she popped into one of those videos and spoke. And it was like medicine to my heart because then I could remember what her voice had sounded like. And it's comforting to know I'm going to hear that voice again. Uh, Not just spiritually, but I want to hear her voice again. For those of us who have lost fathers and grandfathers, it's comforting to know that we might feel their scratchy face again when we hug them. We might smell their smell again. We might hug them again in the way that we loved And only the resurrection of the dead can give us that comfort. That there is a continuation. The resurrection of the dead also shows us how important God sees our whole life, not just our spiritual life. That he cares about all of us, including our bodies. Some of these early Christians, they begin to get confused. They thought, well, maybe since God is spirit and we can't see him, maybe he only cares about our spirit. And they used that as permission to do whatever they wanted with their bodies because really all God cares about is the spiritual part of us. It led to a heresy called Gnosticism. And you can see seeds of that still today. Especially the way that we view and interact with sex in our culture, even as Christians. We look around, it's totally normal, even though you know, the Bible gives us rules and guidelines for this is how a follower of Jesus participates in these things in this world inside marriage. But we want to do what everyone else wants to do. And so we tell ourselves the same thing as some of those early Christians. Well, what God really cares about is the spiritual part of me. And so as long as I'm investing in the spiritual part of me, as long as I'm able to say, God and I have never been closer, or this really doesn't interfere with my relationship with God, or if I really mean the things that I'm saying when I sing and when I pray and I really do want to experience God, then that's really what matters. It doesn't matter what I actually do with my body. But the resurrection of the dead shows us something much different, that God cares about all of us and he has a plan for all of us. Our whole being, body and spirit. And we wouldn't have those things without the resurrection of the dead. And that's why it's encouraging. And finally, number three, be encouraged. We will meet him. So it's not that just Jesus is returning. We will meet him. We are a part of it. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So Jesus will return. 
When he does, there'll be a loud shout, a cry of command from an archangel accompanied with the trumpet. He will begin returning. The dead in Christ, followers of Jesus who have been deceased, wherever they were laid to rest, however they were laid to rest, will be resurrected. They will be given a resurrection body, just like he had a resurrection body, and they will meet him in the air. And then those of us who are alive on the earth when Jesus returns, we will follow them up. So there is a going up. We will meet him in the clouds, it says. Now, the the idea of being caught up and meeting him in the air, that word meet is used two other times in the New Testament. In both times, it is a dignitary, somebody important, headed someplace. The crowd at that place comes out to meet the dignitary and then they all go back to the place together. So the first one is in a parable that Jesus told. A groom is headed to the wedding. The wedding party comes out of the wedding, meets the groom, and then everybody goes into the wedding. The second time is when the apostle Paul went to Rome. The Roman Christians came out of the city to meet Paul and then all of them together go back into Rome together. So what is going to happen, in my opinion, is the resurrection of the dead will happen. They will meet Jesus in the air. Those of us who are alive when he returns, we're all going to meet him in the air. And then we'll return to earth right then. A dignitary is coming We go out to meet them and then we come back to earth together. Now, other people have interpreted these things in different order and you can get lost in Google about the order of end time events and don't even Google that. That's just bad news, right? Some people believe that we'll meet him in the air and then all of us together, those who have been resurrected from the dead, those who are alive, are gonna go back to heaven for a while and then some of the wrath and judgment that we read about in Revelation is gonna be poured out on the earth and then we will all come. Uh, if you're interested in that, you should do some reading. There are really brilliant, smart people who love Jesus on all sides. Uh, the point is, is that we're gonna meet Jesus in the air and we're gonna meet him personally. And the Thessalonians, they were looking forward to that. A couple of years ago, I was scrolling through my social media feed and there was some video of some clouds doing some pretty weird stuff above Jerusalem. And the person on social media was indicating in what I thought was real time that maybe Jesus is returning. And I had like a gut check. Turns out it's a hoax, uh, not real. Um, Jesus did not come back. So we've not missed it. It's been it's good news. <laughs> I'm not very good at social media. So, but it was a good, um, it was a good check to see, is that something I'm looking forward to? Was I a a nervous excited or was I a nervous? I still have a lot of things that I want to do on my bucket list. I'm not quite ready for this. The Thessalonians were ready. I'm sure they had, Tons of stuff to live for, just like we do. I'm sure they had some great relationships. I, I, I'm sure they had hopes and dreams and they were looking forward to all kinds of things, but they were ready for Jesus' return and they looked forward to it and they believed that it was gonna be so great that they were grieved. They were grieved that their friends who had already died were maybe gonna miss out on it. And I've been wondering all week, what's the difference between the Thessalonians and me? Because I don't feel that way all the time. Why were they looking forward to this? Why was Paul looking forward to this? Why were all of the first Christians looking forward to this? And so many of us are just not. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna live my best life right now. And then when it happens, it's just, 
just cherry on top. What's the difference? I'm sure there are a lot of things, but one thing that's different is they saw themselves on earth differently than we do. They viewed themselves as like a nation within nations, a people within peoples. Their first and really only identifying mark in their minds was that they were followers of Jesus. Their national citizenship, their political ideologies, their sports fandom, all of that was way down on the list, if on the list at all. They were followers of Jesus and that's how they interacted with the world. They were a kingdom within a bunch of different kingdoms and they organized themselves according to those kingdom principles and they knew that the real kingdom was coming. They were just ambassadors. They were the first wave of it. They saw themselves differently here. They also had a front row seat to the power of God as he transformed lives. Because they weren't about telling people about Jesus. Strangers, friends, and people believed the gospel and their lives were changed from sinners to saints. They were seeing these things and it was exciting. So if church is mostly for us, I come to this place and I do these things and then I go home. And the next week I come to that place and I do these things and I go home. Then it's totally understandable why they would look forward to Jesus' return and we would not. And then they were sharing in Jesus' sufferings, which brings a whole new level of intimacy. They were being persecuted because of Jesus. I mean, listen to how the Apostle Paul talked about these things and his suffering. In chapter three of Philippians, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I'm so hungry to know Jesus that I want to suffer for him because it helps me to know him more. He's so great and he's so good and he's so real that I welcome these chains. I welcome these prisonments. I welcome the question marks above my life, whether I'm gonna live and die because it means I'm following in his steps. And when I follow in his steps and I share in his sufferings, I know him in a better way. I mean, think about how much different that is from us. We're doing everything we can to shield ourselves from suffering for Jesus' sake to distance ourselves from that. The Thessalonians were in the fight and because they were in the fight, they knew him in a way that most of us don't. So they looked forward to his return in a way most of us don't. I was a senior in high school when the Columbine shootings happened. Uh, To my memory, not being an expert. That was the first school shooting that I could remember. I was a senior in high school, just a few weeks from graduating. I remember exactly where I was when I saw the news. I was at a friend's house right after school. And we sat there and watched it. You know, there's not very many things that will make a 17-year-old sit and watch the news. And that was one. I think about now, today, almost 20 years later, they happen so much, I, I don't have any hope of knowing or 
remembering where I was when I heard about this one or that one. We had the Santa Fe one just in our backyard just a few weeks ago, a week ago. And did you know there was another one this week? And maybe there was more than that, but I heard about another one. I mean, think about that brokenness. I mean, think about brokenness everywhere. Think about brokenness with our government. Think about brokenness in specific communities. Think about the brokenness that comes from poverty and cycles of poverty. Think about the brokenness that there is in prejudice and systems of prejudice. Just think about the brokenness everywhere and then think about it in your life. And what if in one moment that brokenness was replaced with the peace of God? Think about in the safety of our schools, if just in a moment, the peace of God was there. Or in our government, in the way our politicians interact with each other. The peace of God replacing brokenness, when Jesus returns, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's why this is encouraging. That's why this gives us hope. That's why this helps us grieve with hope. Be encouraged. Jesus is on his way. Be encouraged. There's resurrection from the dead. And be encouraged. We'll meet him. And we'll know him. Let's pray.